Um, if you are, if you got your Bible, you got a Bible app, physical Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter two. I'm, I've got a ton of scriptures. We'll be all over the place, but we'll start in Luke chapter two. So, um, I don't know that this is going to be a really good sermon um, I, because, like, again, two Sundays ago, I, thank you again for giving us the freedom just to go to my cousin's funeral. Um, and then, so there's that. I don't know how funerals hit you, but, like, I just sit there and think about, like, life, death, eternity. They hit me in some kind of way. And then last Sunday was, like, felt like the flip side of that. You know, I'm marrying my son. I mean, I'm not marrying him, but you know what I'm saying. I'm... And, like, it hit me while I'm, I think of all kinds of things there, too. And, like, I was, I was telling Wendy, um, this is how I talk to God. God, what do I say at a wedding for my son? Like, I've never done this before. And, like, what, what would a dad say to his son as he's giving him away to, to a, a bride? And it's like, God, I just felt God start laughing. It's like, gee, I don't know, Paul. Let me see if I can put myself in a position of a father who gave a son away to a bride. I was like, whoa, wow. Okay, God, you got my attention, right? Like that. So there was that. And then, you know, they got a bunch of wedding gifts. I got a wedding gift, too. It was a cold um, I don't know if you can still tell I, have, I still have some of that. You know, we can like do this today. Um, so there's, I came home from the wedding, all these thoughts, and then it's like somewhere around Friday, I was like, holy cow, I got, I'm, I'm preaching Sunday. You know, like I've, I've been thinking about it, but like jumbled thoughts and all the things. And so today is joy. Um, the reason I had you talk to one another, I was trying to talk, but also watch. And we're talking about the face of joy. And what I noticed was, and did you notice this too, that as you talked about what makes you joyful at Christmas, did you notice the faces of the people that were listening? Were they, I'm hoping that they were, right? Like, there's something, there's something and this is going to be super nerdy. It's um, neuroscientists, brain science, calls this mirror neurons, that we have these things that when we, when we listen to a story or tell a story, we begin to actually mirror what the person telling us is feeling and, and what they look like. And you can see this like with parents and small children, especially little infants, like they'll start trying to mimic the face that they see. So I thought this morning we would talk about the face of joy. Raise your hand if you have a dad. That's everybody. We're going to ask that question again. I wasn't nervous until some of you didn't raise your hand, and now I'm sweating because I'm not sure what room I'm in. So let's try this again. Raise your hand if you've had a dad. Everybody look. Keep your hands up. Everybody look around. So we can, we're, gonna, we're judging right now. We're judging those of you that are like, I'm too cool to raise my hand. And we're like, where did you come from, right? Where did you come from? All of us have a dad. So I'm guessing that you might have a story similar to the one that, that I have. Um, and I wish I could say this only happened once in my life, but it happened multiple times. When my dad would be at work and I'd be at home and... I know this is going to be hard for y'all to believe, but my mom would say something to me, and I would say something smart back. 
I know you can't picture that at all because I'm not sarcastic in the least. And so two times in my life, my mom slapped me. More than two times, I deserved it, right? So she showed great restraint by only slapping me twice, probably. And I remember both times that she slapped me, it was like, I don't, know, don't raise your hand if you've been slapped by your mom, especially if she's in the room with you. But I remember in both the <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Um, we're, we're praying for you. Yes. Both times, as my mom's hand went back, the whole world just went into slow motion, right? And, like, I'm trying to pull back everything I just said, all that. You can't stop it. And then, like, she just, you know. And that was bad enough. But then she said the words that I bet you've also heard. Yep. Yeah, she said, go to your room and think about what you've done and wait until your father gets home. I've been thinking a lot about that in preparation for this message because did you go to your room and think about what you did until your father came home? I, I didn't really think about what I'd done. I, I was looking for, I mean, these were escape rooms before there were escape rooms. Am I right? You're looking all through your room like where, it, how can I get out of here? How fast can I run to the other city and catch back then? It would have been like a taxi or just a stranger's car and get out of the state. I mean, how, how fast can I get away? I didn't think about what I did. I thought about how I was going to die, right, when my dad came home. In Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 2, verse 10, it says, we're talking about the angels appearing to the shepherds. Now listen to what the, the angel said to them. Listen to these words. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, quick context. There's a, there's a period of 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, what we know as the New Testament. So in those 400 years, theologians will call them like the 400 years of silence. Can I just say this, just to bring it to a way that we can understand? That was 400 years of the children of God waiting in the room for their father to come home. They knew that they had messed up because the promise was a Savior was coming. And you don't need a Savior if you're not in a mess. So here's what I want you to do before we go another step farther. Uh, Russ, don't show that. I don't know what I'm doing. Up here, is this better? Yes. Okay, so I'm just making sure I'm not doing it. Russ, if you don't show the picture, but get it ready. I need you, and I know pastors say this all the time, and there's always rebels in the room that don't want to do it, but I need you to close your eyes. Okay, don't be a rebel today. Close your eyes, and I need you, a little thought experiment. It's okay. Nothing's going to happen except you might feel some movement as they take your money. I'm kidding. I need you to close your eyes, and I need you, play along with me, I need you to 
to put yourself in your room. You're waiting for your father. You're thinking about what you've done. And I want you, before you open your eyes, I want you to picture your father's face. When he walks into the room, I want you to picture his face. What will it look like? Now, don't open your eyes yet. Russ, if you'll put the picture on the screen. When you open your eyes, I want you to look at the screen. I want, you don't have to tell me out loud, but I want, you to, I want you to tell me, tell yourself, just see which of these faces did you imagine. Go ahead and look. You're like, Clint Eastwood wasn't my dad. Which face of the father do you imagine is coming home? I'll answer for you. Clint Eastwood was not my dad, but that's the face that I imagine. Let me ask you the next question. If, if disappointment in the face of God is what we expect to see, then how is it joy to the world that he's coming? Y'all with me? This is going to be a little deep, okay? We'll do a little psychoanalysis. of. Well, I'll do it on myself. You can just watch. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. I didn't have joy when I heard my dad's car pull up and park because I knew that make my day was coming in the room, Right? I didn't expect dad to like come in and be like, hey, Paul, let's go play outside, right? And, and you, thanks, Russ. You can take that off. We don't want to see Clint anymore. And I'm just going to, I'll be also communicating some truth and helping you process the objection that you have in your head. Because some of you have already skipped ahead to, but don't we need to punish people that do wrong? And that reveals a lot about you than it does about what people have done wrong. If God is angry, it's not good news that he came. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, can we take a nerd break? I'm taking it anyway. Based on the past two decades of brain research, that's neuroscience if you want to sound smart, there could not be a more critical emotion essential to brain health, character development, and team formation than joy. I, I didn't write this. I'm reading it from experts. Our brain is a relational system that runs both on the fuel of joy and at the speed of joy. Which is why, and, and listen, just so you know, science and God are not at odds. I'm not the smartest man in the room, but the more scientists discover, the more the Bible gets validated. Right? That's not simple faith. That's proven faith. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Yeah. 
So way back, an ancient prophet inspired by the Holy Spirit wrote that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And now in the last two decades, smart people who might not even believe in God are validating it. They're saying, you know what? Joy is what fuels our lives. Joy is what moves our lives. And if Nehemiah could, like, come back from the dead and be like, <coughs> he'd be like, I think I wrote that, right? The joy of the Lord is our strength. In the Psalms, the psalmist says, sing for joy to the Lord, right? We, joy is what we need. Let's take another step. Are you all still good? All right. A little more nerd stuff. A man named Jim Wilder, but the, in the book he's quoted as E. James Wilder because that makes you smarter. He's a, neuro, he's a neuroscientist. He also calls himself a neurotheologian, which is a cool little phrase. He says, in fact, some neurologists now say that the basic human need, what we all need more than anything else, so this is when you need to turn the person next to you and say, you need to pay attention to this. The most basic human need is to be in the, quote, sparkle in someone's eye. Some of you are like, you're kidding. That's it? That's our most basic need. He goes on to say, when you catch a glimpse of a child's face as she runs toward a waiting parent whose arms are outstretched in unrestrained joy, you can witness firsthand the incredible power that comes from being the sparkle in someone's eye. When we're small and we're kids and we see our parents like light up when we walk in the room, it fills us with joy. And that becomes the fuel of our lives. Did you know this? One last quick scientific nerd study. Every sixth of a second make sure you get this that's a one divided by six every one sixth of a second your brain and my brain is wired to study the room and try to make sense of our surroundings that means in one second you did it six times your brain is looking around the room trying to answer the question who am I and how do I fit here and guess where we find the answer? Well, Jesus, we're, good. we're getting there. In the natural, we find it in the faces of the people that we look at every sixth of a second. Dang, y'all. If that doesn't make the church feel like they need to start smiling more, I don't know what will. Ask people why they don't want to come to church. Ask them to describe Christians, and here's what they'll say. Oh, Christians, they're just like Clint Eastwood. They're judgmental. They're hard. They never smile. They sing about the joy of the Lord and look like they just sucked on prunes. But we have a different word for it. We call it being stoic. Joy of the Lord, y'all. The joy of the Lord, right? Like, people are watching us, and we're watching each other. And here's why this is important. We're doing a series called Unto Us. I'm trying to really 
drive home. I, that's funny. I'm trying to drive home, and this is my first time being here for the series, but whatever. You know, we're trying to get across that so many times in, in, at Christmas time, we think about how Jesus came to me, but he came to us. Isaiah 9, 6 says that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He's like, Jesus is like that family gift. Did y'all ever get given presents as kids that you had to share? Wasn't that brutal? It's like, um, it wasn't a gift, but growing up we had like this little small Santa doll. I mean, it had like really awesome, a beard that was like, it sounds weird, but like you just like to stroke it, you know? And he had like, these black boots that came on and off. I can still picture that Santa doll. And we had, to, we had to take turns who got to sleep with the Santa doll. Do I lose my man card if I tell you that I fought to sleep with the Santa doll? I don't know. Is that weird? I don't even know. Probably. I, I lost my man card a long time ago, so it's fine. Whatever. But, like, trying to share that? Having to share that caused more fights, right? Like, and, and, and I remember you know, just as a parent, and maybe you've done better than we have, you try to keep track of who had it last. And then your kids are telling you that you're wrong, and you're like, you're all in on the fact that you're not, but really in your brain you're like, I, mean, I probably am. Right? <laughs> like, I don't remember. <laughs> Figure it out, you know. Oh, it's just ridiculous. Like those shared gifts can be tough right? Jesus is a shared gift. He's given to us. And isn't it crazy how we've made that something to fight over? I mean, maybe not in here, right? But like, what about denominationally, right? I mean, we're, we're, um, hope this doesn't, we're assemblies of God, right? So that means we're, we're on the Pentecostal side of denominations. Um, there are charismatic denominations. There are, you know, like, Presbyterian, Baptist, like, and we all argue over who has more of the gift. It's crazy. It's like, it's like a little, little family of kids fighting over like the shared gift. He's given to us. And here's why this is important. Just a little wordplay. What do you call somebody who has a lot of joy? Well, we don't say this word. You say they're a joyous person. Joy us, y'all. Yeah, I know. That was good, but some of y'all are like, you misspelled it. What's wrong with you? I know I did. Oh, do I know I did. Oh, boy. To all the first-time guests, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. You'll probably never come back, but you'll be so full of joy, it's fine. So let me read you one more quote, and then we'll, we're going to read a bunch of verses. Joy needs to be understood as a relational dynamic where we define joy as glad and delighted to be together. It is the emotion one experiences when they are in the company of a person or a group of people knowing they truly matter are fully appreciated for who they are, where there is a deep, abiding, and genuine enjoyment in being with each other. You have, from time to time in your life, walked into a room of people and thought two things simultaneously. Number one, 
this place is awesome. And number two, how do I get in on this place? Because you feel it. You're like, they really like hanging out together. I mean, we've had the flip happen too, right? Which is why some, isn't it funny how like around the holiday season, people have a lot of like trauma about going to be with family? Do you know why? I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why. But at the most basic, it's because maybe some of us are still wondering if we're seen by our family with a smile on their face. Like if we walk into an environment where we feel like they're already disappointed with us, there's no joy there. Discouragement and disappointment is what robs joy from us. Delight is what fuels it. So can I just read a couple of verses for y'all? Psalm 1611. Just want you to jot these down. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now, again, when you hear the word joy in these scriptures, I want you to think about how we've talked about joy to this point, right? Joy is what a child feels when they look up at their father, their mother, and they see that they are the sparkle in their parent's eye. The Bible calls it being the apple of God's eye. And that's what we are. I just don't think we believe it. And so when it says that you fill me with joy in your presence, it's because what the psalmist is saying is when I come into your presence and I see your face, I see a face that's pleased with me. And it fills me with that thing that I feel when I'm the sparkle of somebody's eye in your presence. Y'all, most of us would not describe being in God's presence that way. Which is one reason why it's hard to get people to come to a prayer service. They're like, you want me to sit in a room and think about how disappointed God is with me? No thanks. I'm out. But what if you were sitting in a room with someone who actually wanted to be with you? John 16, 22, Jesus said this, so with you. Now your time is grief of now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Numbers chapter six, verses twenty-four through twenty-six. If you were raised in the Methodist church, you might even could quote this with me because you heard it at the end of almost every service. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. And be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. You know, we're Pentecostal, so we don't say that at the end of the, every service. We just sing the, the doxology. Is that what it's called? The blessing. We sing the blessing like every other week. That's our benediction, right? He's for you. He's for you. He's for you. Ezekiel 39, 29. God says, I will no longer hide my face from them. For I will pour out my spirit on the people of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory, which is displayed in the face of Christ. This is why it's joy to the world that the Lord has come, because he's not coming with a whip. He's not coming to punish. He's coming to take our place. 
He's coming to restore joy. What did David say after he sinned? Restore to me the joy of our salvation. He wasn't saying, give me that emotion that I had back when I used to sing those songs I love so much. He was saying, like, restore our, restore our relationship. Let me see the, the joy in your face again. And then I'll have joy. I know pastors say stuff like, is this making sense all the time? It's because we have no idea if it actually is. But is this making sense? Okay, good. Because I need to wrap it up. And I want to make sure that we're on the same level before I wrap it up. So, what's that? Yes, yes, you're all joy us. Thank you so much. Cecil gets a cookie. We, I mean, literally, we might have cookies here somewhere. So, yeah. So, this brings me back to... Um, Oh, let me just give you two more scriptures, then I'll finish up. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. Oh, turn to the person next to you and say, I think he's talking about you. Well, can I tell you a secret? Only if you're an apprentice of Jesus. Only if we're following, like he takes great delight in his children, his people like other kids can make me smile but y'all and I'm not Will and Corey if you happen to watch this there's no pressure but when I have a grandchild y'all you're not gonna know what to do with me right you're not gonna know what to do with me I'm gonna load that I'm gonna load that boy that girl up with sugar and spin them around send them home right it's gonna be awesome there's something, yeah, there's something about our children, right? Like God feels this way about his children. He delights, takes great delight in you. In his love, you will no longer, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Psalm 149 verse 4 says this, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Pleasure. Like he's pleased, y'all. On your worst day. On the day that you're sitting in the room waiting for your father to come home. At the end of 400 years of silence, wondering the next time God speaks, will it be good or bad? At that moment, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Which brings me back to a story that I've, I've preached about before. I'm not going preach to about, preach about it today because I've done enough talking already. But it, it brings me back to Peter denying Jesus, which I know like we're celebrating the beginning of Jesus' life and we're just going to to the end, right? But listen to this story in, in Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. Then seizing him, they led him away, him as Jesus, and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance... There's a whole preach there, but let's keep going. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, <laughs> that's not a good thing to say, Peter. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. 
And Peter replied, verse 60, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Verse 61, The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. I would say that that's Peter's worst day. I would say that that's Peter's worst moment in the middle of his worst day. Actually, he had three pretty bad moments right in a row. And the Lord looked at him. I don't know what mind games you have played on your worst days. How somehow God didn't see me do that. Have you done that? He saw it. The Lord turned intentionally and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I preached on this, it's been a number of years ago. If you were here, I played a rooster crowing. Um, and, I, and I simply suggested this, that the way that we're wired, we're wired to associate sound with moments, which is why all these many years later, if one of you were to stand and sing, I'm not suggesting you do it, please don't do it. But if one of you were to stand and start singing Open Arms by Journey, I just was going to wait a minute and see if possibly somebody would, right? I am instantly back in a place with a group of people. I can see it all. I can feel it all. I can hear it all. I can smell it all. We're wired to associate moments with sound. So why would Jesus associate a sound that Peter would hear every single morning with his worst moment? He wasn't associating it with this worst moment. He was associating it with the face of Jesus that Peter saw in his worst moment. A face that was still kind, still full of mercy, still pleased with Peter, although not pleased with what Peter had just done. And he made sure that every morning Peter heard that, that rooster crow so that he would remember the face that he saw. Can I ask you this question? How would life change if when our fathers walked into the room, they walked in with the other face instead of Clint's? How much more joyous would we be? I'm going to play a video for you. Um, it's very short. And then I'm going to come back up and, and we're going to wrap this up. You got that, Russ? Go ahead and roll that beautiful bean footage. My mama told me something when I was growing up that has forever changed my life. She played the piano at our little church at 3rd and Pine Street for 37 years. She tried to teach me to play the piano, <laughs> but I wasn't very good. She would teach me the names of the notes what a major key is, what a minor key is. She tried to teach me musical theory, but I was just bored. Then, one day, she told me that the best news in the world is found by playing a simple scale on the piano. I had no idea what she meant, so she told me to play an eight-note scale. So I did. 
I said, how is that good news? And she said, I played it incorrectly and that I needed to play it the other way. So I did. Again, I said, how is that good news? And she said, I played it the right way, but I needed to add the pauses. The pauses? She said, the pauses. Add them on the first, second, fourth, sixth, seventh, and last note. Now, I was frustrated and said, how can eight notes with random pauses be the best news in the world? Then I got up, walked away, and went outside. Frankly, I didn't care what she was talking about. I didn't like playing the piano anyway. Well, years later, my mama got sick and passed away. As I was thinking about her, I remembered what she told me about the piano. Not only that, I still remember the notes she told me to pause. The first, second, fourth, sixth, seventh, and last note. So I sat down at her piano and played the scale with the pauses. And that's when I realized the good news she was talking about. things I've realized the older I've gotten is that I've got daddy issues. I can't watch a movie. We were watching The Crown yesterday and there was a scene where father and a son were embracing and there was some reconciliation and I mean I just start crying. If I am the only one who cries all the time just act like you do so I don't feel quite so weird. But all it takes for me, and I bet all it takes for a lot of you, is one scene of reconciliation between a father and his child. And I'm a puddle on the floor. Some of that's because, you know, I, I think I'm still probably resolving some stuff I have with my dad. I mean, he's a good man. He's hanging out with Jesus now, and I'm madly in love with him. But there's just stuff, right? And probably, too, because I have two grown sons and... There's just things that we work through. We're not perfect. Jesus knew that. He said, if you as, as, as imperfect people give your kids good gifts, how much more, right, will I? We've all got daddy issues. Until we see the Father rightly, we're going to struggle with joy. And here's the test for whether or not you actually have issues with the Father. It's the pauses. It's the waiting. It's the moments in our lives when, when something didn't happen when I thought it should have happened. And that's what puts my Father view to the test. Because what will He look like as I'm waiting? And most of us, in the waiting, we lose the joy-filled face of God. And we see Clint Eastwood 
like this angry, disappointed, why did you mess up again face. And is it possible that that's why the religious leaders missed Jesus? Because he didn't look like they thought he should have looked. And I don't want to miss him. And I don't want you to miss him. And so I'm not trying to like take a moment and just like have a counseling session. But I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I'm just, I'm just going to offer to pray. That joy to the world would become so much more than a Christmas carol. It would be the story of our lives. That this community of believers at the gathering, we would be the place where because the Father's face shines on us, our faces would light up when we all come together. Right? Even in waiting, even in the pause, because like the video we just watched, it's the pause that takes the individual notes and makes them the good news of the gospel. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give you the, um, the easy out. Just, we'll just go home and think about it. In this moment right now, if you are like me, and you're like, man, I still have so much growing to do in this area of how God is pleased with me. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and say, that's me. And I'm going to pray for all of us. Yeah, just quickly put your hand up and you put your hand right back down. And those of you that are in the room and you're like, I don't struggle with this. Can I just tell you something? You are going to be the best friends to people in this room. Because the church, not just the world, the church needs more people who have come to realize how crazy God is about us. We need those people. So, like, don't feel like you have to come in here and find an issue so you can fit in with all the people that are struggling. No, be the person who says... Yes, he has shown me that he is pleased with us. Be that person whose face lights up when you see your brothers and your sisters because you are then filling them with joy as well. But for right now, let's pray. God, I thank you for those that raise their hands that just for that honesty. And I, I believe this, God, even right now, you're beginning to not just shift our perspective about you. We don't want to just see your face rightly, but God, we want the, the response in our soul to match that. There are people who raise their hands who have not felt joy in a long time. And we've, we've thought it was because of our circumstances or because of the things we're going through. And, like, that can definitely have an, an impact. But, God, the reason we've not felt joy is because we've not seen your true face towards us. And so I'm asking right now as I close this service in prayer, I'm asking that you would shine your face on them. 
that even in the waiting, they would know, man, you're, you're the Father who right now is singing and dancing over me. You are delighting in me. And that that would change everything for them. Oh, man. The sound of change hitting the floor. God, that's what we crave. We would walk out of here this morning full of joy. Yeah. Would you stand together? Hey, Joy's going to share something. Yeah. Um, God actually gave this to me while we were singing. Um, the set did change. It was an interesting morning. But I have been one that struggles a lot with how much God loves me because of the things I've done. Um, I know how I've been. I know the things I've thought, the judgmental, all the things come into me and I feel very guilt ridden and God gave me this and he and he specifically said it wasn't only for me so this is for those of you in the room that struggle with how much God loves you because of things you've done or on the other side those of you who in the room who struggle with how much God loves the other person because of what they've done okay that could be any of us he said basically he said to me I gave my son as a newborn how much do you love a newborn? And I, for most of you know, I have a new grandbaby. And he, we, we, we do. We have a new grandbaby. <laughs> we love him not because of anything he's done good or anything he's done bad. He poops a lot. He has projectiles spit up on his mother, caused his mother pain. <laughs> You know, I mean, he was born, right? And we still love him. There is nothing that he has been able to do that has changed the joy in our lives, that he just exists. And that's how God loves you. That was it. Man, that's such good news, isn't it? Man. All right, I'm doing it. I'm sending you out with a benediction, y'all. This first time in this Pentecostal church's history. Here we go. Wow, I hadn't even done it yet. That's fantastic. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Everybody said? Amen. Amen.